Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. So like I said, we're in our series, Jesus On, and we're continuing today um, by looking at some of the most controversial stuff um, in our culture. And we've done that the previous weeks. And really, this series has been all about focusing on what Jesus said about particular topics. Why? We can forget what Jesus said. And I think sometimes even from the videos we're showing, you know, where we're, where we're asking people about certain topics and they're saying what they think. And then whenever it goes to what Jesus said, there's kind of some like, um, <laughs> you know, and really I think we do that many times. We've almost let the culture shape what we think and or informed by when it comes to certain topics, especially the, con- the controversial ones, that sometimes we can totally forget what Jesus says. And there was actually a situation, and I've mentioned this a couple times before, about we were in a service in person live at the Regal, um, at Regal Kiln Creek. Uh, about three or four weeks ago, and I just threw out to the audience, we were talking about leaving a legacy, and I threw out to them, hey, who are some people in our culture that have left a legacy? And he had some people, Martin Luther King, and LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and you know Mother Teresa, and they said these names, and no one said Jesus. And I don't think anyone had a bad heart in not saying Jesus, but I just think sometimes we can forget, even Christians, about Jesus and what Jesus ultimately did and what Jesus said. And we've been looking at some really controversial topics, stuff like privilege, politics, love. But today we're going to talk about maybe one of the most controversial of them all, and that's money. Now, before you sign off and you're like, I don't want to hear what this pastor got to the stutter and pastor got to say about money. I get that. I understand money can be a not so fun topic to talk about in church. But before you sign off, before you tune me out, give me a chance. Okay. Because I know this, that you might be tempted to Tune me out because you might think, John, you've got selfish motives here. So it's like, John, you just want to talk about money in the church and you're just going to tell me that I just need to give and da 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 Look, here's the, here's the thing. I'm not telling you that, that at all. At our church, we want to create an environment to where you want to give instead of you feel like I've got to give. And we want to create the opportunity for you. Because honestly, y'all, we our church is in a great financial place. It really is. And, and that is because so many of you give and give generously to see the ministry of LifeHouse happen and the ministry of LifeHouse flourish. And if you give to our church, we want to say thank you. If you haven't stepped out and started that yet, we want to invite you to, man, because you get in on the fun of seeing life change happen. Hundreds of people weekly are are changed by the ministry of our church. And we are just grateful that some of, that some of you uh, would consider us worthy to invest your hard-earned dollars into. And we seriously want to just say thank you. And we are grateful and it is making a huge difference but our church honestly is in a great financial place we have zero debt we don't know nothing we don't owe anything to anybody so this is not born out of a we just need to know this is a heart here i've got the heart to help you know what jesus said about money but possibly you've been hurt by the church whenever you think about money in the church i just had a conversation a couple months ago with somebody that came from that came from a different church. And the stuff they were telling me about what their pastor and their church had them do with money, like it was absolutely insane. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It was just like, 
You know, so some of you, you grew up in churches or you were, you had been a part of churches where they would tell you things. If you don't give, you're cursed. If you don't give, you're gone. And it, it, it really hurt you. And if that did happen, I want to say, I'm sorry, because I, I know the church has not had the greatest reputation with money. And so whenever those two things are talked about, your fists go up and you're like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to you know, and, 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 and I know it can be a really sensitive topic for some. And I just want to say, if you have been hurt by the church in regards to money, I'm sorry. Churches are run by imperfect people that do stupid things and, some, and sometimes sin. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. But I also would want to encourage you with this. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't let what happened in the past keep what God wants to keep you from in the future. All right? So look, give me a chance. But thirdly... Um, this message is super important because you might say, well, do you know what? Jesus only spoke to rich people. Jesus, you know, Jesus just, I'm, and I'm not rich, right? And we can kind of get into this whole, well, am I rich? Am I not rich? And Jesus spoke to rich Lazarus. He spoke to the rich man. He just talked to the, to the rich and I'm not rich. But I would like to remind you that, um, of a couple things. First off, your world isn't the world. Right, so I think sometimes within the United States, we can think because somebody is richer than us that we aren't rich. But the truth is this, is, is if you make, if your household income is $37,000, you are in the top 4% of salaries in the world. Just think about that. So you might say, um, well, um, I don't make as much as this person, but trust me, there are 96% of people the, in this world that do not make more than, 30, than $37,000. And actually, there's 1 billion people on this planet that live on less than $2 per day. So here's the thing, right? I think when Jesus speaks to rich people, I think he's actually speaking to us because we live in the richest country, the richest nation in the whole world ever. We have the comforts of life that generations have longed to have, and we have them in the United States. So I think whenever Jesus is speaking to rich people, our ears need to perk up because most likely he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. And I don't tell you that to guilt you. I don't tell you that to, to make you feel bad. But trust me, when, when there are so many people, millions and even billions of people that see us in the West as having running water, a car, access to healthcare, education, tech, technology, to them, we are the rich. So when Jesus says rich, he's speaking to us. But seriously, this can be the, one of the most important messages in this whole series. Why? Jesus spoke more about money than anything. He spoke more about money than heaven or hell, faith or prayer. Jesus, one-fourth of Jesus' teachings and parables were about money. Why? <laughs> well, because he knew. He knew the struggle that people would have. The uh, The allure that money brings and how money, and, and really essentially this is what Jesus said, that money will be the chief opposition to your devotion to God and his kingdom. You know what? That'll be the pursuit and love of money. Matthew 6, Jesus said this. He said, you can't serve God and money. In Matthew 13, 22, he was telling a parable about how God's word is like a seed that is sown into people's hearts and our hearts are the soil. He says this, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out or choked out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. Jesus is saying that for so many people, they can't grow in their relationship with the Lord or pursue Him because they are pursuing 
wealth. And because they're pursuing wealth, it is choking out the work of God that he wants to do inside of them. Douglas Jones said this. He said, for Jesus, money wasn't one idol among many equals. He singled it out as a direct competitor to God. He never contrasted the idols of sexuality or knowledge or the earth in such stark opposition to God. Jesus never said you can't serve sexuality in God or knowledge in God, though these were idols too. But he did say you can't serve God and money. So this could be the most important message in this series. So I pray you'll stick with me now. Let's just be honest. This message about money hits people in the United States straight in the eye, and it is so offensive to our culture. Why? Let's just be honest. Our world, our culture worships money. Our nation worships money. It is a God that is served and worshiped, and for so many people, it results in shaping their vision for life and is the main driver for what their life priorities are. And the truth is this. You can tell what something or somebody worships by what they are willing to sacrifice for it. I'll say that one more time. You can tell what somebody or something worships by what they are willing to sacrifice for. Think about what our culture sacrifices at the altar of money. Kids, I mean, just think about how many kids, their dad or their mom, basically say, hey, I'm gonna go and get this cash, you can raise yourself, right? We sacrifice our physical health. How many people destroy their health seeking after money? Their marriages, their relationships, their character, or their calling. These are all sacrificed on the altar of money, especially within this culture, because it tells you, get rich, get rich, get as much as you can now. You can even see in Scripture that Judas, right? How many times do we talk about Judas and we have this judgmental spirit? You know, Judas, you know, Judas, you know, Judas, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus. You know what Judas betrayed Jesus for? Money. Judas was actually the, the treasurer in Jesus' ministry. And it says that what he sold Jesus out for was money. I think the hard but sometimes sad truth is that we are more like, or that we can be more like Judas than what we would like to think. But sometimes we sell Jesus out for the pursuit of money. And so, y'all, here is the heartbeat of this message today. If Jesus spoke more about it within the United States, it is prime. But, but also to think about this, think of what our country has sold out at the altar of money. A country put off for years ending slavery and racial injustices because they feared the financial fallout and burden. Our country's love for money has led us to put on the back burner people's physical and mental health and well-being. Our country's love for money and consumerism has consumer and student loan debt totaling close to $4 trillion, financially crippling people. So what do we do? Jesus spoke more about it than anybody. It speaks directly to us within this culture. So how has the church responded, right? How has the church responded to our country's love of money? Well, it's gone in two different directions where you've got one side that has said, oh, okay, well, Jesus wants you rich then. I mean, we live in the richest country in the whole world. We love Jesus, so let's just combine the two. And yeah, Jesus wants you rich. Follow him and you'll be rich. Jesus was rich. Jesus had a treasurer. He had somebody overseeing money in his ministry. And, you know, and, and this is one of the best ones that I've heard people say. We knew Jesus was rich because Jesus, when he was crucified, the Roman soldiers gambled for his robe. So he, so he had on the Versace of his day. Jesus dressed nice. We should be like Jesus, so we should have really nice things. I mean, it's, 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 it's some of the most insane stuff that people say to justify the fact of, well, do you know what? We follow Jesus, then we should be 
rich. And really what has, what has morphed out of this is this whole something you've probably heard of is the prosperity gospel. Where if you follow Jesus, you'll be rich, you'll, you'll be powerful, you will have everything this world has to offer because you follow Jesus, you're a king, you're a child of God, you should have all that stuff. And they say, you follow Jesus, he'll give you health, wealth, bends, and all of this. Right? So that's the way the church has responded on one end. But then you've got people that have gone to the total other extreme, and they've said, no, Jesus was poor. I mean, Scripture says Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Like, he was homeless. Like, Jesus doesn't want you rich. Like, Jesus lived a poor life, you know, and, 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 and really what that's called is the poverty gospel. Right? Is they say, well... It's not the prosperity gospel. So Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you should be poor because that's the way Jesus, Jesus was. So what these two sides are saying, the richer you are, the more righteous you are, or the poorer you are, the more righteous you are. And they just spat at each other and they just get in fights and they bash. And it's like, which one is it, y'all? Was Jesus rich or was Jesus poor? Like, what did Jesus say? And they're trying to make Jesus be what they want him to, to be. We do this all the time, but specifically in this area of money. So what, which one is it? Where do we go? But I believe that's why we actually got to say, what did Jesus say about it? So the thing is this, right? In the remaining time, we're going to focus on summing up what Jesus mainly said about money. And as a result, how do we practically work this into our life? Like I said, Jesus spoke a lot about it. So I'm going to summarize as best as I can into how many points? Three. Three points. Um, Three points. What Jesus said. And then I'm going to get practical and then we're going to be done. So let's dive in. All right, first off, Jesus said this. How you handle your money shows where your heart is. How you handle your money shows where your heart is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Then we're going to read verse 24. says this here. It says, and this is Jesus talking. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Go down to verse number 24. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying here, where you put your money, it shows where your trust, hope, and treasure is. And this is why as Christ followers, right, the desire of our heart has to be matched by discipline with action with our money, right? Because Jesus places a big emphasis on your heart, right? And, and you know what? I agree with this. Jesus said it. It's definitely true. But what I've seen in the church with Christians and is they can do, not shockingly, one of two different things, things with this, right? They can have a good heart with bad habits or they can have good habits with a bad heart. Let me break that down. You can have a good heart with bad habits, or you can have, and this is in regard to money, or you can have good habits with a bad heart. Let me tell you the difference, right? You've got some people, they're like, I love Jesus, I wanna honor him, I'm a Christian, I love him, da da da. But when it comes to their practical, everyday life, when it comes to their finances, they have no control, they're in debt, They're not spending wisely. And because of that, they're not able to actually invest in the things that Jesus asked them to and wants them to, not because they don't have a good heart and desire it, but but because they don't have the actual discipline or practical parts of their financial nature lined up to where they can act out and do what the desire of their heart is. 
so they can have a good heart with bad habits, right? And that is why if this is you, if this is you watching right now, we, we want to help you, man. With, with Thane Lifehouse, we have some people that are winning with money and not just winning in their personal lives. They're investing in the kingdom of God because they are taking the money that God has entrusted them with and using it right in their personal lives. And, and because of that, they are, they, they can give to what God is asking them to give to. And so if that is you, we, we want to help. Like we have financial coaches within our church. If you need help with budgeting, if you need practical help, uh, something else we, we do with something called Financial Peace. It's a small group through Dave Ramsey that is absolutely incredible. If you need some sort of help in your finances, like you've, you've got the heart to want to do better, but maybe the practical side is where you struggle, would you just type in the comment section, me, or you can send me an email at john at lifehousenn.com, or just reach out to our general church email through whatever form, Facebook Messenger, whatever, and let us know if there's a way that we can partner with you to help you win in your finances. So you can not just have a good heart with bad habits, but you can have a good heart practicing the habits that you desire, that your heart desires to do. Now, on the opposite side of that, though, is you can have good habits with a bad heart, right? And these are the kinds of people they say, like, yeah, I give to God, but I just do it so he can get off my back, right? Right? And it's like they're doing the they're doing good things with their money, but they're doing it with the for the wrong reasons and with the wrong heart. And there are a lot of people like this where they just sort of give. Give to God, give to the poor, give to the church, simply because they view it as a duty, not a delight. And they're doing it to almost control God instead of doing it because it is the desire of their heart. You know, the story of the prodigal son, you've probably, you've probably heard that story, even if you didn't grow up in church, right? The story of the prodigal son wasn't just a story of the prodigal son. It was actually a story of two sons, where you had the prodigal son that went out and lived and lived it up and did his thing and you know, basically squandered all of his father's inheritance, went out and lived buck wild crazy. But then you had another son that was on the inside with his father doing all the right stuff. So you've got the prodigal son that comes home. The father's excited, throws the, the prodigal son a party. He's like, yes, my son has come home. I'm so grateful. Thank God that my lost son has come home and he's now found. But then you've got the other son, the son that's doing all of the right stuff. He was ticked off and mad that his father put on a party for the lost son because he said, you know, all these years I've been in here slaving for you, pops, and you haven't even dared to even throw me a party. You haven't given me a cow to kill. You haven't given, you haven't given me stuff, so why are you going to celebrate him and, and you're not going cel to celebrate me? And really, essentially, what the father did was just like, look, everything I've got is yours. But what that did is it exposed the older son's heart where he was working for the father, he was in the father's house, but he didn't have the father's heart. And that's what I believe sometimes people can do in regards to finances as Christians, is they can just give to God because they want to get God off their back. But God just doesn't want you to have good habits with, with a bad heart. He wants you to have good habits with a good heart. But good habits with a bad heart is what Jesus went after. Why? Because these are what the Pharisees, the religious leaders had. Right? A couple different things. Luke 18, Jesus says this, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So everything, right? He's like, yes, God, I do all the right stuff. Thank God I'm not like these sinners. And I even give a tenth of my income. I'm, I'm a tither. But then you've, you've got this second part here. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see what Jesus said here? He said he does all the right stuff. This Pharisee, this religious leader does all the right stuff, but he does it with a bad heart, a heart that is all about him and not a heart that is about God. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees again here. He says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What was, he, what was he saying to them? You do good with your finances. You tithe, you give, you do all of that stuff, but you put off the more important things. They were doing the right things while also putting off the most important things, justice, mercy, and faith. You can see here that Jesus was getting at it. It's not just about what you do, but it's about the kind of heart you do it with. So which one are you? Do you have good habits? Do you have a good heart with bad habits? Or do you have good habits with a bad heart? I would say Jesus' desire for you is for you to, to line up not either or, but both and, and say that when you give, you are becoming more like God. But the truth is this, the trail of your purchases and bank account will show who or what is on the throne of your heart. But it isn't just about your heart, it's also about your habits. And the goal is for Jesus to transform your heart and your heart turn towards Jesus and there'll be practical, tangible application to your habits that show Jesus is Lord of your finances. The trail of your purchases will show who is what or who or what is on the throne of your heart. Your heart shows where, where your money goes shows what's in your heart. Secondly though, it's not yours. Yeah, it's not Yours. John, John, what are you talking about? It, meaning whatever money you have, it's not yours. So one of the things that Jesus harped on is whatever you have, whether it's your time, your giftings, your talents, or your treasure, your, your money, your house, whatever, your, your stuff, but specifically we're speaking about money, your money is not yours. See, within the United States, we have this idea, I worked hard, I went to college, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, and these, this is my money, I worked hard for it, and we have a very individualistic way of viewing our money. And we can sometimes think because of that, we take ownership of it. But here's the thing, as a Christian, what it teaches is this concept called stewardship. And stewardship, and we're going to read the parable that Jesus talks on, means this. A steward is someone that manages something that has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them. Meaning, what you have has been given to you by God. That it is not something, yes, God, God gave you the energy and the strength to get through college, the energy and the strength to have all the knowledge you have, the energy and the strength. In other words, anything you've done is because God has given you the strength to do it, but especially the money you've earned, it is not, and therefore it is not yours to do what you want with it. It has been entrusted to you by God for you to invest for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to you. That's very different from what our culture teaches. Our culture says, you own it, it's yours. Jesus says, you have been entrusted with it. What are you going to do with it? Right? And one of the things that I think the church has really struggled with is we have taught this concept that I personally believe in it, and that is the concept of tithing, where basically you take 
10% of whatever your take-home income is, whatever your take-home pay, and we invested into the local church. It's something Kristen and I practiced for years where, where we have said, you, you know, we want to prioritize people. One of the best ways to prioritize people is to prioritize the church that ministers to people, right? But some people have taught wrongly, and they'll say things like this. Well, you know, you give God 10, you keep 90. Yep, you, you, you give 10, and the 90 you can do whatever you want with. I don't know why I got real country there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but honestly, what, what I think that has unfortunately done is it has taught people only 10 is God's and 90 is yours, when the truth is 100% of it is God's. None of it is yours. When I give back to God, I'm not giving back to him to get anything from him. I'm not giving back to him because I want him to bless me. He's already blessed me through Jesus. He's already blessed my soul for, for eternity. So the good and what I give is a direct result of the fact that God has already given. So I'm not giving to him to earn anything. I am giving out of response to a God that is already so graciously given to me. So it's not 10% God's and 90% mine. No, 100% of it is, is his. And whatever I give back to him, I'm giving, like, like I said, Chris and I, we invested in the church so the church can do what God has called the church to do. And that is be his hands, his feet, and his representation on this planet. But I think what it has actually done is when sometimes we teach this concept of tithing is we think that, well, you know what, just no, 100% of it is God's. And whatever we give back, we give back out of a response of who God, of what God has already given us. You have been entrusted. This is what I'm saying. Matthew 25, 14 through 15. Woo, I'm speaking fast. Going to calm down here. Woo. All right, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 15. I'm not going to read the whole, the whole parable here, but I do want to read to you the first two verses, and then I'll summarize it for you. So this is Matthew 25, 14 through 15. This is what it says. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it up in proportion to their abilities. He then left on this trip. So the story goes on to say how those who had been entrusted with five bags and two bags and one bag, right? They invested what they had and got a return. But no, so the one that had five bags and the one that, and the one that had two bags, Jesus said they went and invested what they were entrusted with, but the person that had one bag held onto it for himself and did not go and invest it. And you can see they were actually judged by Jesus accordingly to what they did with what they had been entrusted with. But what you can actually see Jesus saying here is that my kingdom is like people who have been entrusted. And as a result, they have said, since I've been entrusted, what am I going to invest this in? Right? And that's why I think it is so important for us to switch the mindset of how we view whatever money God has entrusted to us. Instead of it being, it's mine and I can do what I want with it. Whenever you've been entrusted, you then gain and you gain a what? Investment mindset. Where you say, I want to take this money and since it's not mine, I want to invest it and put it towards what benefits the one that entrusted it to me. So it's a switch, and that is what I think we're called to do, since what you have is not yours, right? And the moment you think it is, you start using it for what you find important or for what your vision of life is, and when you do, it benefits and glorifies you, but when you know what you have is not yours, you treat it differently. Isn't this true? What you know is not yours, you treat it differently. And that's what I pray the Holy Spirit is sharing and showing you today as, as, as you watch this, that Jesus 
wants to deliver you from the pursuit of just pursuing your own selfish ends, your own selfish glory, stuff that glorifies you. He wants to say money is not bad in and of itself. Money, you know, it says the, you know, scripture says money is the root of all evil, but at the same time, money itself is not evil. It can be used to glorify God or it can be used to to glorify self. The question is, how are you going to use it and treat it? And the way to use it for God's glory instead of yourself is to say, hey, how can I take this, know it's not mine, and invest it in what is important to God, and that is people, and that is seeing people come to know Christ. So, whew, sorry y'all, I'm getting into it. Need to calm down, calm down. Okay, look, so first off, what you do with your money shows what's in your heart, right? Jesus taught that, but secondly, we've, you know, we see Jesus taught that what you have is not yours. You are, you are a steward, right? And really, I just, I just want us right now to emphasize and, re- and re-emphasize this point. Say this with me. It's not yours. Say that with me. It's not yours or mine, whatever, right? So, it's not yours. Third, thirdly, Third point, money has the power to shape your vision for life. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is what it says. This is called the parable of the rich fool. I I think even the title of this parable is chilling. It says the parable of the rich fool. This is what it says. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the the inheritance with me. So So they're wanting Jesus to be a financial planner, right? But Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said between them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Y'all, isn't this what our culture tells, like what our culture is trying to tell us and shape what our vision of life is? of getting to the point where this guy said, hey, I made some good investments. Yeah, I, you know, it said that he yielded an abundant harvest, seemed like he had been wise with his money and he had done well in retirement, smart, and, and he got to this place in life where, man, I need a, you know what? I just, I, I got so much, I'm, I'm just gonna get a bigger house. You know, I've, 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 I've got really nice stuff and I've got so much, like I don't, I don't even have to work any, any, I don't have to work no more. And man, once I get there, I can just, Take, take it, take it easy. And, you know, and that's what it says here. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And y'all, this is what our culture is trying to shape you and form you to be is get to, this, is just get to the point where you can make enough money so you can retire and you can do what you want with, with your life, escape this crazy world, escape people. This is what our culture is shaping your ultimate vision of life to be. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that retirement's bad. I'm not saying that, you know, if, that if you're smart, financially, that's a bad thing, but you've got to be careful to ensure the vision and purpose of your life is not being shaped by what culture sees as successful instead of what Jesus sees as successful. Because what Jesus ultimately says here is this guy was rich towards 
himself, but was not rich toward God because of how he dealt, especially with his surplus. But this is what, this is what our culture is telling us, man. Get to that point in life where you can do whatever you want. You can go on a beach, just, just, just lay on the beach, sip a daiquiri, go play some golf, and just live the good life until you, until you go. I just think as Christians, we've got to be so careful that that is not shaping and is not our ultimate vision for what we want life to be. Because what Jesus says here is that how are you being rich towards God? And what I think Jesus is ultimately challenging here is our vision of life. Is our vision of life. And what I think he's saying here is don't just invest in you. Make an eternal investment. Make an eternal investment. I don't want it to be said about John Ware that I was the rich fool. That I was the one that, that, that took life easy and just and, and got to the end of my life. And that's what he said. His life was demanded of him. Meaning he didn't know when he was going to die. He didn't know when he was going to stand before God. And what God's saying is, as a result, live your life as if you don't know when you're going to stand before God and invest it into what matters and what is rich towards God. It speaks to the vision of our life and money has the power to shape that. So money shows what's in our hearts. It's not yours. Money has the power to shape the vision of your life. So I want to get practical now. And really to, to cause honestly, right? You can be like, yeah, John, it's great about money. Da, da. But how am I going to actually work this into my life? Instead of just telling you one step, one, two, three, I want to ask you one question. Has your bank account, has your money gotten saved? It's probably a funny, a funny question. But has your bank account and has your money gotten saved? Has it started to follow Jesus? Martin Luther, the great church reformer, said this, there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, said this, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. Even during the Middle Ages, there was a people group called the Franks, led by Charlemagne, who ruled most of Europe. And one of the, and, and you know, and he was a great military ruler. And one of the requirements he had for, for his soldiers, Charlemagne, was for them to get baptized. But the thing is, is when they would get baptized, is the soldiers would actually get baptized with one hand outside of the water. And people are like, why, why, why are they doing that? Because they were soldiers. And these soldiers knew if I baptize this hand, I'm going to have to act differently with it. And what did these soldiers do? What, they had swords that went and killed and that went and killed people. So they were like, yeah, I'm not going to baptize this hand because I know when I get down, everything's going to be sanctified and follow Jesus except this hand because I'm going to want to kill somebody. And so what they would actually do is they would get baptized with one hand outside of the water because they didn't want to get that part sanctified or saved. Sounds really funny, but let's just be honest. Many of us do that with our money. We say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but this is up here. And that's why I think the question, has your money gotten saved, is so important. Because if we're going to be fully devoted followers, fully devoted followers of Jesus, our hearts and bank accounts and our visions for life have to be taken over by Jesus, especially in the midst of a world that is telling you and compelling you and 
marketing you to sell your life on the altar of money. Y'all, it, it, it is like this. It is trying to shape you and form you into its way. But Jesus says you are called from that and you're called not to be rich towards you, but rich towards God. And that is why one of the most important things we do, I believe, in our service is this prayer that we do when we transition from worship into the sermon. We, we do this prayer we do this corporate prayer where, where we say, hey, let's pray this together each week. And it's during our time of giving, where basically each time we set time aside in our service to pray and to give you the opportunity to be generous towards God and to, and, and to invest in God's church, but not just as a way of getting you to give towards the church. It's also a way to shape and form your heart and your vision of life against the culture that is trying to shape you and form you into its image. It's an actually an act of defiance. It's a prayer of defiance saying, I'm not going to let the way culture is telling me shape and form the way that I view it. I'm a follower of Jesus. I should see it differently. I love, I love what Kent Hughes said. He said this, every time I give, I declare, and, and here's all right, this is, this is, this just in towards the church, this is towards somebody, or this, this is towards whoever God leads you to. Every time you give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. And really, y'all, the whole idea of giving is you're never more like God than when you give. Think about your, probably one of your famous scriptures, John 3, 16. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What he's saying, for God so loved the world that he gave in the very nature of who God is, he is a giver. So whenever we give, we are never more like God. And the more you give, the more it transforms your heart and your outward disciplines to then say, I want to do and be what Jesus says and when it comes to money. And the truth is this, y'all. Christians were known and have been known from the beginning as people who use their money different. Let me tell you this about the early church. This is what Tim Keller said. He said, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it. In this way, the pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body. And they gave practically everybody their money. Has your money, has your bank account gotten saved? Every day, y'all, you get the opportunity to be rich towards you or to be rich towards God. So let me encourage you in response to today's message. Let's give our hearts to Jesus, our bank accounts to Jesus and prioritize what he prioritizes. And through that, let us share and show who Jesus is to the world through our money. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.